All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. All right, so first of all, a special thank you to Dr. Maxi for sponsoring this year of Kabbalah and Coffee in honor of her, her mom. Uh, Dr. Maxi, may your mom's neshama soul have an aliyah, have an ascent above, and bring blessings for you and the whole mishpacha. Um, obviously, I mean, it goes without saying that we are all thinking about this morning about peace. And we know that if there's one thing that is at the key of what everyone wants, I think, when I say everyone, I mean what we ought to want, right? It's the idea of shalom of peace. It's the final blessing of the Amida. After 17, sorry, after 18, 19 blessings, I mean, Shemun Esri means 18, but there's really added a 19th. After 18 slash 19 blessings, after 19 blessings, the final one is Hamavarech et Amo Yisrael, Bashalom. It's the one about peace. It's the one about peace. We ask God for peace. And the commentaries explain, because without peace, then you can't enjoy any blessings. Yeah, you have a blessing, this blessing, that blessing. But if there's no peace, if there's no shalom, then there's no blessing. You can't enjoy any blessings. And of course, when we talk about shalom, there's different levels. There's inner peace, right? There's um, peace of mind, peace of heart. There's physical peace. There's national peace, international peace. So which one are we talking about? E, all of the above. I don't know if I gave four before, A, B, C, D, whatever. Whatever the next one would be, all of the above. We need peace, all of the above peace. Because without peace, now obviously we need the other blessings, right? But, but without peace, without shalom, we also know this. We know that we say at the end of the Yemidah, not even the last blessing, the last line, Right? What does that mean? He who makes peace above, that's referring to God. Who should make peace for us. So, so what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean that the one who makes peace above should make, should make peace below? So I'll give you the Kabbalistic explanation. Kabbalah explains that there are angels, there are different angels above. And every angel has its own function. And they're actually known by different names. There's the angel of Michael, a.k.a. Michael. There's the angel of Gabriel, a.k.a. Gabriel. Different angels. I chose these two specifically because they represent complete opposite dynamics. Michal, the angel called Michal, is known as the angel of chesed, the angel of kindness. The angel Michael is the angel of kindness. Kindness, peace, and love. The angel of Gavriel, Gabriel, is Gavura. Like Gavriel, Gavura kind of sounds the same. So this one at least that works, Michal. Chesed, all right, doesn't really work in the, in the letters themselves necessarily intuitively. But Gavriel, Givura, strength, severity, restriction, withholding, right? Strength. Two different angels, two different personas. The angels have personas. Now, the angels don't have choice, but whatever. But they have, on some level they have, they don't have the same level of choice that we have, but on some level they have a persona. And what are we saying? Oseh shalom b'mamav. 
the one who makes peace above between the different angels, who should also give us the strength to create peace below. And the, the Kabbalists explain that how is it that the angels above create peace? How does it work? If you have the angel of Michal, the angel of Gavriel, two different angels, how do they have peace? It's when they stand before the king, or when I say king, I mean with a capital K, i.e. the king of kings, the king of all kings, Hashem, God Almighty, it's when they stand before the source, then their differences automatically, necessarily dissolve. Each one puffing up, puffing up its own chest, saying, look at me, I'm the angel of Chesed, I'm the angel of Gevura, right? Hear me roar, perhaps, right? All of that exists when each one is feeling themselves. When each one is in a state of ego and self, and that's when fighting begins. But Kameh de Malka, as the, as the Kabbalists say in Aramaic, but before the king, standing in front of the king. Yeah? I'm this, I'm that. Who's going to say I'm in front of a king? You with me on this? Who says, you know who I am? Not in front of a king, you don't say that. You know when you say that? You say that when you're at the bar with the other guy and the king's not around. Say, like, oh, you know who I am? I'm the, I'm the prince of chesed. I'm the prince of, of this and that and the other. Sure, wonderful. When, when you are left to your own devices, when I, when I say you, I mean the angel, when the angel left to their own devices, then there might be you know, a little, little West Side Story, a little, little, uh, little scuffle. But when they're standing in front of the king, when you stand in front of the king, what type of, uh, what type of self are you asserting? In front of the king? It's only about the king, the selflessness. It's bittal. Self-abnegation. I don't exist. Only the king exists. So really what the prayer is, if I were to retranslate the prayer based on this mystical insight, which I'm calling it mystical because it's, in this, it's sourced in Kabbalah, but I mean, it's kind of intuitive also, right? Stand in front of the king, you're not going to fight with the other guy. I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious, kind of simple, because it's not about you at that point. You're, you're like, you're both awed, in awe of something and someone greater than self. And so maybe, the, not maybe, so the message is, I only say this maybe to sound tentative, but the way the mystics explain the end of the Amida is, it's a prayer that we should open our eyes to what the truth really is. If we can see Hashem in front of us, we're going to stop fighting. If we put God Almighty in front of our eyes, if we put a higher purpose before us, less likely that we're going to scuffle. And so I guess my blessing is for all of us, individually and collectively, that we remember why we're here. We put God first and recognize that life is too short to fight with each other. We need peace and we need peace now. Too many years, too many years of uh, what they call in Yiddish, Mishagas, craziness. Okay, back to our story. Back to some Kabbalah and Coffee, Overcoming Folly edition. So last week we started developing the idea of the folly of business. The folly of the workplace. Right? The whole book is dedicated to folly. What I mean by dedicated to folly is the stories that we tell ourselves. 
the, the ridiculous stories that we tell ourselves. Why? We, you know, we started off the book by saying, oh, it looks good, I'm going to try it. What do you mean, it looks good, I'm going to try it? That's crazy. I mean, it's not healthy for you. I'm, it looks good, I'm going to try it. Adam and Eve. That was the first thing we said in this book. Adam and Eve. God says, don't eat from the forbidden fruit. So what looks good? Right? What does the Torah say? Eve saw, Chava saw, that it was good. It looked good. So what did she do? She ate it, and then she gave it to her husband to eat. It's not pointing fingers. It's pointing out something very important, an important truth in life. And that is that in life, folly number one is it looked good. I tried it. So the, the correction of that is just because something looks good doesn't mean you have to try it. We've talked about other follies. Follies such as... Follies such as... I'm going to do it and I'll be okay doing it. I'll do it, I'll do this, but I'll be okay. Or I'll do it and I'll be better than okay. Or I deserve it. Or they deserve it. Or we all deserve it. Or no one's going to know if I do it. Right? Or they made me do it. He made me do it. She made me do it. My personality made me do it. We talked about all these things. They all come down to the same thing, which is called shtus, folly. It's the, it's the narrative that our minds tell ourselves, we tell ourselves, in order to green light whatever negative action it is that we're about to do. Does that make sense? It's like there's, there's this temptation in front of us, this negative act that we know, you know, in a rational place. It's not that we don't know that it's, oh, I had no idea it wasn't good. No, 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 no. You, you know it's not good, right? We know it's not good. In a rational moment, in a very thoughtful moment, we would know. We would guide, we would counsel someone else and say, don't do it. So how do we let ourselves do it? Because somehow in that moment, you know, like when you go into a parking lot, they have those, like, those things that go up and down, those, those arms. I'm not doing the robot, although I could. Anyway, right, those arms, I don't know how good that was. Those arms that go up and down, yeah, so it's like we need a mental arm to go up to let the vehicle, to let, to let us pass through, to let that negative behavior pass through. What pulls the arm up? Any one of these shtuyot, any one of these follies. Uh, it looked good. I tried it. I didn't know it was so bad, or it's actually good for me, or it's their fault, or it's this fault, or it's all that stuff. All of those are allowing the arm to go up to let the behavior through, and then at the end, after it's done, we have some reflection. We're like, oh, what did I do? What was I thinking? In the moment, we had a rationale for it. We had a rationalization for it. So the goal of this book is simple. It's simple yet absolutely brilliant. The goal of this mystical text it's not to teach us theoretical Kabbalah to make golems and to make things levitate. That's not the point of this text. This text is not theoretical Kabbalah. This text is practical and applied Kabbalah to help us make better decisions. Straight up. Straight up make better decisions using mystical insight. And the goal here is to understand how the brain works, how we work, how cognitive, cognitively, how we work, not we work, Whatever. Yeah, how we work. Yeah. And, hey, Ed. Good to see you. Good morning. So it's about understanding how we work to be able to allow ourselves to make healthier decisions. In other words, once we understand how it is that you and I work, how we think and how we feel and what drives behavior, that will allow us to make healthier decisions. And so this allowed us to roll into the topic that we started last week, that we're going to continue this week, which is all about how to work in a healthy 
kosher way. Straight up, how to, and I don't mean kosher literally, I mean figuratively. How to work in a healthy way. Because work does take up so much of our lives. I mean, you think about the typical nine to five job or like the stereotypical nine to five job. Okay, that's eight hours a day. Eight hours a day. And that's uh, what, 40, 40, uh, what, forget about the, the, the week. That's a third of the day. Nine to five is a third of the day spent in work. So it's really, and then another third of the day theoretically spent sleeping. So, I mean, we're talking about like a, a big chunk of, of our lives is spent, again, theoretically, your mileage may vary specifically, whatever, everyone's different, but there's a lot of time spent in work. And it's very important to get it right. And, sure, and to avoid the pitfalls of getting it wrong. And what do I mean by getting it wrong? It's not a judgment. It's just saying that it's, it's possible to work in such a way where we're not being aligned with our purpose. We're not finding alignment with what, who it is and what it is that we're truly about, and that can lead to all sorts of negativity. So to understand this, I want to kind of pause all of this for a moment and talk about whys and what's. Not like W-I-S-E, whys, and W-A-T-T-S. That's this is something else. This is not a football discussion, but here's the deal. Why, like why, W-H-Y, and what, W-H-A-T. Why and what, or whys and what's. And so here's a foundational truth taught in Kabbalah. Each of us contains layers of reality inside, under the hood. There's behavior, is what we do. There's speech, is what we say. There's thought, there's what we think. Deeper than that, those are the three garments of the soul. Deeper than that, there's how we feel. Emotions, how we feel. Deeper than that is how we think. Not what we think, but how we think. That's much deeper than what we think. What we think is, is easy, surface stuff. How we think, how your brain, how my brain is wired, so much deeper. You with me so far? So there's what we do, what we say, what we think, how we feel, how we think. When I say how we think, I mean how we understand things. But then deeper than all of that, so far we have five layers. Three garments, two inner dimensions. But deeper than that is what we call keter, which is the crown. This is beyond how we think. This is beyond the mind. And there's two layers in keter. Layer number one, going from the outside in. Layer number one is called arich, anpin. And deeper layer, number two, it's called Atik Yomin. Arach Anpin Atik Yomin. What are these two dimensions in English? Uh, it's, I mean, translation is not going to help. Arach Anpin means the long face, and Atik Yomin means the, the, the elder of days, but that doesn't mean, doesn't mean much in English for us. Arach Anpin refers to, yeah, I don't mind typing it out, no problem. Give me a second here. Arich Anpin and Atik Yomin. Okay? Those are the two dimensions of Keter. From the outside in. The more external and the more internal. The outer layer, the inner layer. But let's translate them into, into our lives. What does that look like? What's your Arach Anpin? What's your Atik Yomin? Here you go. Arach Anpin, the external level of Keter, is what you want. It's desire. Straight up desire, will, when I say will, I mean like what you want. 
you walk around, you're, everyone's motivated by something. Or everyone has, forget motivated by something, everyone wants something, more than something, many things, right? We want things. Want comes from Arach Anpin. That's where want comes from. I want something. Yeah, I want. But what is deeper than want, deeper than desire, is pleasure. What drives desire is pleasure. In other words, on a very practical level, it means that somewhere deep inside, we have a notion, even, and I point it to my head, but it's even deeper than the mind. It's not, a, it's not an intellectual notion. It's a deep, wired notion that we have that this thing will be enjoyable. Therefore, I want it. So there's two, so when a person says, I want something, okay, there's really two, there's really two messages there. One subliminal, perhaps, and one overt. The subliminal, the subliminal message is, I believe that, I, and, or I know, or I feel, whatever the right language is, but I believe that this will be good for me. This will, be, this will feel good. This will be good. This will cause me pleasure. Whether in the short term or in the long term, this is good. This is tov. This is good. And because I've decided, because I believe, because I know, because I feel, whatever you want to call it, because I believe that this is good, therefore I want it. Now, you can attack me for saying, why do you think that's good? Why? Who told you that's good? That's a little bit hard, that's a little bit hard to, to attack. Somebody says, right, ice cream, I always go to the ice cream example. Um, vanilla... Chocolate, somebody says, I like vanilla ice cream. Why? Or somebody says, I want vanilla ice cream. Why? Because I like vanilla ice cream. Why? Because it tastes good. Why? Why does, why does vanilla ice cream taste good to me? Why? I, I don't, how do I break down my taste? Like, I don't even know how to break that down. How do I break that down? I, I like it because I like it which prompts the author of the founder of Chabad, the author of Tanya, to say in Yiddish, if a is can cash in it. You can't ask a question on a desire. Why? <laughs> Why do you like that? Why do I like it? I like it. It's a little bit hard for me to identify why I like it. I know that I like it. First of all, it's hard for me to figure out what I like to begin with. Not always is life as simple as choices of ice cream. Got to figure out. We could spend our whole lives only discovering at the end of our lives, oh, my whole life, I was doing something I didn't want to do, I didn't like doing, right? That didn't fulfill my purpose. Whoops, I didn't realize that. I have a why, I have a deep-seated why that I've been wanting to fulfill. I have a deep-seated desire and pleasure for something that hasn't yet been, been touched on. That, so it's hard to identify these deeper dimensions, let alone explain them. And like I said, if you can explain it, that means it's not, well, I didn't say this, I'm going to say it now. If you can explain it, that means it's not as deep as we're talking here. The moment you can explain it means it's a rational decision. It's not a deep-seated tainug, pleasure. You with me on that? If you can, if you can rationalize, if you can, if you can break it down, if you can argue vanilla, then I can argue chocolate. If you can argue it, I can argue back, and that means that, it's, that you're open for, for a conversation. If it's reduced to an intellectual thing, well, oh, I think this, I think that, then that means you're open to conversation and being convinced that of liking vanilla. Is that possible? 
Are you really able to be convinced out of vanilla? If so, you don't really love vanilla. You decide it's something about vanilla. You don't re- it's, not, it's not as deep as we're talking about here. Does that make sense? If it's really deep, then it's not, a conver- it's not up for discussion. Why is it not for discussion? Not because, like, I'm a vanilla dictator. That's, that's insane, right? It's not like, yeah, welcome. Vanilla or bust. I mean, it's not like, but it's, I like vanilla. I just, I just let, van- it tastes good to me. Why? It makes me feel good. Why? I don't know. Maybe years of therapy is gonna, are going to uncover the deep-seated connection between what I like and, and, and you know, like why, why I like what I like. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. But again, I'm just giving you an example of what this might look like. An example of what this might look like is simple example, maybe a silly example. Yes, a silly example. Ice cream flavors. Somebody says, I like it. Somebody says, I want it. I just explain the, the Arach Ampin Atak Yomen. So Arach Ampin, the lower level is, I want it. Atak Yomen is, I want it because it tastes good. I, I, it, not only it tastes good, I will derive pleasure from this experience. That's Atak. Atak is Tainug, pleasure. Because I know or I believe that I will de- derive pleasure from it, therefore I want it. So if we go now, so we went bottom up, and just, we had the seven levels. Now we are up to seven levels now. We did action, what we do, what we say, what we think, three. How we feel, how we think, it's two. What we want, what we want. What we want, why we want it, or maybe want and pleasure. It's kind of the same thing. I'm just trying to, I want to say it as accurately as possible. Seven dimensions. From top down, because that's the way it flows out from the soul. Because these two dimensions of the soul are the deepest part of the soul. It's the keter. It's beyond the cognition. It's beyond, it's beyond the mind. It's beyond the brain. It's beyond chachma. It's the deepest, the deepest elements of the person. We have from the inside out. We have tainug and ratzin. There's pleasure and there's will or desire. There's pleasure, what causes me pleasure. And by the way, it's different for every person. And that's a product of deep-seated stuff. Whether it's, um, whether it's nature or nurture, everyone has a wiring of what feels good for them across the spectrum of experiences. What they define as good, what feels good, Whatever tainug is, tainug, pleasure is a, is a very broad category. It's not one type of pleasure. Right? Pleasure, but it's the ultimate motivator. Right? Pleasure or pain, right? That's the motivator. So that's the deepest part. The deepest part, again, according to this understanding, is tainug is the pleasure. That's the deepest motivator. That then unfolds or manifests itself as rutzon. Oh, I want it. I want it. In life, it's hard to know what we want, let alone why we want it. Let alone defend why we want it. Probably can't articulate that. Hopefully we can articulate at least what, what it is that we want. But then after that, that unfolds into how we think and how we feel and what we think and what we say and what we do. And in a very healthy environment, all of that is seamless. And all of that is intentional. I know what I like 
and therefore I know what I want, and therefore I think a certain way and feel a certain way and think certain things and say certain things and do certain things and everything flows. Unfortunately, life is not always so simple. So we find ourselves, like I wrote in the email last night, we find ourselves living in the world of what and so often we don't even think about or we're not aware of, we're not in touch with the world of why. Which means that we're living on kind of on, on the lower level, the lowest of levels, which is a very external behavior level, which means that we're very well aware of what we do. right? We know what we do. I get up in the morning and this is what I do. But if somebody would ask why, we would have a difficult time explaining it. I mean, we could obviously give the answer, you know, let's say it's going to, I get up in the morning, I go to work. Why? To earn money. Okay, but why is it that you do that? Because that's what pays me? Okay, sure, but is that what you want to do? Is that what your, is that what your purpose in life is? Does that really speak to your deep-seated desire and pleasure? Does that fulfill you on every level? Whoa, hold on. This is just my job. What are you talking about? Right? Like, let's not get so deep. Let's not get carried away. This is just what I do. Most of us, most of the time, live in the world of what? We're not getting so deep. But it's important to, for us within ourselves. It's not about anyone else. It's important for us to get into touch, at least on occasion, with our why. Why is it that we're doing what we're doing? Why are we motivated to do this? And frankly, if we get in touch with the why, we might realize that what we're doing doesn't at all speak to that why. Maybe what drives me on the deepest of levels is totally not what I'm actually doing on a functional behavior level. It could be that my nine to five is totally not what it is that my soul wants, in which case I might consider adjusting or tweaking. That might be a consideration. So it's important, it's important that on a semi-regular basis to get in touch with the why. And let me just give you a business analogy. So there's a fellow, Simon Sinek. Everybody familiar with Simon Sinek? Yeah. Simon Sinek? He has that TED Talk yeah. about why? Speaker. He's a speaker, motivational speaker, business speaker, coach, author, seminar person, whatever. He's like, okay. Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, Simon Sinek, has a TED Talk that is very famous, I don't know how many millions of views, probably it's tens, maybe hundreds of millions of views, I don't know if hundreds, but tens of millions of views I'm sure by now. And he talks about the power of why, how great, and how great leaders communicate. And he explains that most people communicate the what. Great leaders communicate the why, right? That's what he says, that's like the big idea. Of this one idea, he's made a killing. I'm just saying, this was his why idea. So what, what's the idea, right? Or why is the idea? No, what's the idea? He says like this. Imagine a company says, we make computers. They're great computers, right? They're really fast. They look good. They do a great job. It's re a really great. We make computers, and they're really great computers. And as he says, you want to buy one? <laughs> just like channeling Simon Sinek as I say this. You want to buy one? Maybe. We make cars. We make great cars. They're really solid. You know, they're safe and, and, and they'll get you there. Point A to point B. You want to buy one? Nothing has been inspiring about this message. He says, look at Apple. Again, this is like his, his talk was 18 years ago. 
I, I want to say it might have been before. Well, how old is the iPhone? Do we know? 18 years ago. Simon? I think so. I think it's 18 years. I mean, maybe less. I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, anyway, look, it's, it's, either way, it's a long time ago. Because the examples that he gave with Apple are like Apple is a computer company and an, and, a, and an MP3 player company. And he didn't mention anything about the iPhone. And I'm like, hmm, about that. <laughs> Little did he know. But anyway, his point about Apple is Apple doesn't say, we make computers, you want to buy one. Apple says something along the lines of, we challenge the status quo. We, you know, when everyone believes a certain thing, we believe, we believe otherwise. We challenge, we question, we think different or think differently. We're thinking differently about everything. And that's manifest in the products that we make that will be different and radically change the way everything works. We happen to make computers. You want to buy one? That's a different cell. It's a different pitch. I want to be part of this movement about thinking differently, challenging the status quo. Again, I'm not selling it necessarily. It's not my, it's, it's not my why. Here's my point. Point is, what he says is, and he makes a decent argument, people are motivated by the why, not the what. People are not that inspired. How, how old? Did, are you able to see how? Uh, like 10, 12, 12 years ago. 12? A 2007, the first iPhone was introduced. 2007, so that's 15 years ago. So we just have to now find out when Simon Sinek delivered that TED Talk. That's the question. Anyway, it's a, it will be an interesting question. Either way, his point is, and it's a very interesting point, and I think it's compelling. People are motivated not by what we do, but why we do it. And that's why you found, from when this became a movement in the corporate world, suddenly you have companies that now believe in ethical, um, what's it called again, in ethical uh, um, causes. Buy one pair of shoes and we'll send, we'll donate another pair of shoes, right, to a, a, a developing country, a third world country. What's, what's the message here? The message is you're not just buying shoes. You're saving the world. You're helping the world. That's a different message. We're not a shoe company. Oh, you think Tom's is a shoe company? Oh, we're not a shoe company. We're not a shoe company. We're in the business. We are, we are putting shoes on people's feet that don't have access to that. You want to be a part of that? All it takes is for you to buy a pair of shoes. Somebody else gets a pair of shoes. That's a different pitch. It's a different pitch. How do you stand out in a world of selling, selling, selling? What makes your shoes different? You ready? You give them a compelling pitch. You tell them why they should buy. What's your why? What are you about? You're just selling shoes? That's what you're doing. Why are you selling shoes? One way to differentiate is by saying, oh, why are we selling shoes? We're not here to make a profit. We're not selling shoes to make a profit. We are, we are saving the world. One pair of shoes at a time. Different message. You with me on this? Yeah. Have I announced? Have I um, told you about the new Intown Jewish Academy uh, brand of footwear? Kidding. So this is this is the idea of how to communicate a why as opposed to a what. You communicate a what? 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 I, we have a great pair of shoes. Honestly, you and a, tha a thousand. How many shoe companies are out there? <laughs> Ten thousand. A hundred thousand. I don't even know how many shoes. How are you going to stand out? 
And how are you? What's the what's the compelling message? So if you break into the market and have a very unique product that's you know a good price and very comfortable and very stylish and da da da, and you do the right marketing and you get the right social media and you sure you can build a brand. Sure, you and another ten thousand other people trying to do that as we speak. Unless you have a compelling why. What's your why? Maybe your why is not even about shoes. Maybe your why is not about selling shoes. Maybe your why is about saving the world. Interesting. A shoe company that's saving the world. Tell me more. Now I'm interested. Now I'm interested. A shoe company that's going to save the world. Okay? You notice that, that companies in the last decade or so, it's all about these larger causes? Yeah? It's like this philanthropic um, capitalism? Yeah? I mean, I hate to be cynical, but there's so solid business advice. I'm, not, I'm actually not being cynical. I'm being, I'm being very eyes open to what, what's happening in the business world. Business coaches will tell startups, if you want to be successful and stand out, you have to communicate your why. And don't tell people your why is to make money. Because no one wants to support that. Yeah? Why? Can I? You have a new, what was I just finished? You have, oh, you're launching a new, a new shoe brand. Why? Because I want to sell shoes and make money. Because I want to pay my bills. <laughs> That's going to motivate that guy? If your why is I'm saving the world, now, what I'm saying, what I'm presenting here is a bit of a hack of the why. In other words, knowing how people respond to whys, knowing how deep a why is a motivator, not only for the person, but for someone else, there is the potential, you ready, to misdirect the why or to create a why to help sell, to, to, help, move, to help move product. So that's a bit of a cynical way of using these deeper elements. But it all speaks to the same truth, and that is that we are motivated by whys, we're motivated by other people's whys. And the what's are typically a derivative. When we feel that the what is disconnected from a why, we're not inspired. And that's why we may not be inspired by our own lives. Because what we're doing doesn't speak to our why. And it's like, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm not feeling it. I'm not, I'm not you know, I, I wake up one day and I say, I know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm not inspired. I'm not inspired. And that's a, that's a healthy, I would say it's a healthy question to ask. It's a healthy question. In fact, one might argue it's a question we should ask ourselves every day, every night. It's called in, in, in Hebrew, it's called in the mystical tradition, Jewish tradition, the cheshbon nefesh, which means an accounting of the soul. What's a cheshbon nefesh? It's asking myself, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Cheshbon nefesh. It's an accounting of the soul, accounting like, a, like an audit, like um, all the books are open, Right? It's meant, to be, it's, it's meant to be part of the bedtime ritual, ideally. I mean, it's hard because, you know, you're tired, so who's getting so deep? You know what I mean? Like, one of those things. That, that's, really what it, that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to, you know, are we thinking about this? Or are we just living in the world of what? And the world of why, we're not, we're not addressing on the, on the deepest of levels. But understanding how human, how, how human beings... I'm going to say evolve. I don't mean evolve in the Darwinian sense, but how, we, how our inner powers evolve to become outer powers is very important. Everything is driven by, desire, by pleasure, desire, how we think, how we feel, what we think, what we say, what we do. It all unfolds from there. The problem is it's not always so seamless. 
So we can, you know, when we're younger, we might have ideals, and we might have, oh, this is what I want to do, and I want to change the world, and I want to, you know, this, that, and the other, and we have all these things that, things that we really love doing, and then we find ourselves not that long later, not, not that many years afterwards, doing something that really doesn't speak to that. But why? Because of pragmatic considerations. We needed to get a job. We needed to do this. We needed to do that. And we fell into these circumstances. And now we find ourselves a little bit disconnected. So the goal here is, to, number, step one, to understand how this works. Number two, to encourage us to think about the bigger picture. Because, and all of this will speak to the folly of work. The folly of work, which we outlined at the beginning of last week's classes, where a person works so hard, so much, so tirelessly, that they forget about their spiritual connection. And if a person really has a spiritual why, that will never happen. That can never happen. How could that happen? If every day I know that I'm going to work as an outgrowth of what it is that my soul really wants, how will that ever devolve into a place where I'm working so hard, so much, so frantically, that I don't have time to tend to my soul? How could that be? How could it start from my soul and end up being counter to my soul. Are you with me on this? How could it start from a place of soul? I'm working to express the depth of my soul, my being, my pleasure, not just my bodily pleasure, but my, my soulful pleasure, what my soul wants, which hopefully, presumably, is a deeper connection and purpose and all these bigger things. How could it go from there to then working in such a way that it just cuts all that stuff down? It wouldn't even make sense unless we weren't thinking about it. Or, I don't know if I did a double negative on myself there, if we're not thinking about it, if we're not working it all the way through, then it can happen that we start off in one place and we end up completely differently. So the goal of this exercise is to recognize that we need to get back to the why, not just as a cynical marketing tactic or a cynical business tactic, which it could be, but as a life rope. Life rope? Life... What's the expression? Life rope? Life? Lasso. Lasso. No. Well, I, I, I actually did indicate lasso. But no, it's a lifeline. Lifeline. Or life. What's that round thing that you throw? Yeah, lasso. Lasso. Oh, is it a lasso? No, 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 no. No, the, no, the, the floating thing. Nautical reference, right? We're on a boat. Lifesaver. Lifesaver. Ah. The lifesaver. There you go. The lifesaver. It's the light, it's, I know, you probably don't do this. How many times have I thrown a lifesaver, <laughs> right? How many times have I pretended to throw a lasso lifesaver? More than, apparently once. Anyway, the point is like this. The point is that, I don't even know what I was saying anymore. No, the lifesaver, it's not a cynical, it's not a cynical process of like, what, how can I convince people that my why is much deeper than it really is? I'm really, my real why is about making money. But my pretend why is to save the world so that people will give me money that I really want. That's the cynical version of this. The deep version of this is, okay, what am I really about? What am I really about? I'm really about a higher connection, spirituality, purpose in life, meaningful life, great. So then why am I killing myself at work and not having any time to do all that stuff? Just to make money? Can I figure out a way how to like, do what I need to do with the money part and also satisfy my deeper why? Let me, let me see if I can figure that out. That would be the goal. Again, this is not... This is, not, this is not a critique in any way, of, of, in, in any situation. This is not a specific analysis. This is a general movement, a general awareness. If, I'm, if I become a little bit more aware of what I am really about on the deepest of levels, then it necessarily will trickle down 
to what I do and how I do it, it can't. It, the only way it can remain disconnected is if I'm not thinking about the deeper stuff. If I never bother to think about the deeper stuff, like what am I about, what's my purpose, what's my soul really into, if I don't think about that stuff, then I can easily get, you know, I can easily like find myself in a place where, where whatever. But if I'm thinking about it, I have a shot at least of realigning. It's all about realignment. Okay, um, Michael, jump in. So, so yeah, so, so you know, you talk a lot of, about different places, about levels, that kind of thing, and it strikes me that, that some of this discussion of the whys, it's really just there are different levels of the answer to the question of why. That you know, and 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 I want to, uh, you know, we don't always get to that really deep level. You, know, you use an example of selling shoes, and I'm thinking, I don't know if you saw recently, there was a commercial I saw with Rob Gronkowski, and I I can't honestly tell you what kind of shoe it was, but it was some high end leather shoe they're selling. And if I remember correctly, he tells you in the ads, you should buy this because they're stylish, because they're comfortable. Okay, there's two reasons. There's clearly a subtle implication that I should buy them because Rob Gronkowski, and for those who don't know, by the way, he's a football player for the Patriots, now the Buccaneers. You know, I should buy them because Rob Gronkowski wears them, and, and ergo, I could be like Rob Gronkowski. So, right. which, which I would argue is a relatively shallow why, answer to the why question, but... It works. I'm going to guess it motivates people. Okay, I'm going to guess it sells shoes. Okay, um, but I, but I want to go even even more. You know, when you talk about the because the, the other example you gave was was, was um, uh, uh, you know the, your job or why you work where you work. And and I'm semi retired, mostly retired. I say usually from from a, a position as, as college faculty. And um, you know, I did that. And and certainly, if you had said why, one of the answers would have been it pays me money. As you know, as you point out, obviously that's 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 a motivator. That's a why. Um, I gave me flexibility. Okay, there's a why. Maybe that's you know it's not quite as as mercenary as the money issue. So maybe that's a higher level a little bit, but it's still not you know um, it stimulated my mind. You know, it was something that I enjoyed. You know, it was a good you know an interesting thing for you know. And ultimately, I would tell you that I did it because it um, you know I felt like I was doing good but I felt like like you know teaching was was a, you know, a noble you know, endeavor something that, that added value to the world in some way my question is though that why is that last why and I'll, I'll you know maybe there's otherwise but you know that's what I would have said why is that why it seems like you're arguing that that's sort of a better answer to the why the others are valid answers I mean I need to make money I need to you know and and, and by the way making money lets me do other things Right. Okay. That are you know, outside of my job. Right. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe making money lets me buy pairs of shoes to donate to people. I don't need to go buy this part, you know, company shoes that right. don't donate. I could donate myself because I make money doing what I do. So I don't know. I, just, I guess I'm just like, how do we decide what's the best why? Good. The Excellent. Best answer to the why. Excellent question. Excellent question. Your question is really. It sounds a little judgy to say this is a valid why. This is an invalid why. This is an. This is a shallow why. This is a deeper why. Good, good. And so, and so what I would say is like this. And it may not be linear. It's, it, it's, it's, not, it's not always, and I, this is your point, it's not always linear. Like the first why is to make money. The deeper why is this, that, you know, and it goes like it, it unfolds from there. It's not, life is not always so perfectly, you know, uh, uh, shaped like that to, to be perfectly linear with a starting point then go deeper, 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 where you could line it up, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. At the same time, if it's just about making money, it doesn't speak specifically to this, to this job versus another job, which means that we'll have to lean on some other pieces of it, 
like you said, like um, it gives me flexibility, or like it's intellectually similar, or like I feel like I've made a difference to my students' lives or my own life. In other words, if it's just about the money, that, that would be the broadest, the least specific answer to that question of why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's the, it's the, it's the most general answer, and thus I'm going to say it's the most external in the sense that it doesn't really speak to what it is that I'm doing. Or it doesn't speak perhaps to what it is that I'm really all about, although as you, you may be arguing, and I don't, I don't I'm not saying that you are arguing this necessarily, but like, could be that person's why, deepest why, is to make money. And who's to say that that's not a deep why? That might be what gives them pleasure, what, what motivates them on the deepest levels. Correct. I, I, that, that is correct. I'm giving, I guess, more of a hypothetical where a person is, you know, in an honest moment, more attuned to their soul than their body. And they do have a sense of a deeper why that touches on some higher purpose on some level. And the idea is, you know, how can I or, or can I find some, you know, am I doing something or can I find within what I'm doing an outlet for those deeper, those deeper drives? But there's no question that on, every, that on any level, a why is the motivation. I think that's, that's how I started this point. Like every what has a why. It's just that maybe we can go deeper and deeper, and maybe we can't, and maybe it's more lateral than, than deep. Maybe there's you know, a bunch of lateral whys. Why, uh, I have a why that leads to this what? Another why that leads maybe to the same what? Another why that leads to the same what? Could be that I have like, you know, a few lines that are leading to the same bottom point, or it could be deeper. I, I, so I, I think, I guess my short answer to you is I agree with you. I don't think what I said is, uh, is, is written in stone, but it's one way of understanding this, this construct of going deeper. And also I think it, it allows us to understand the phenomenon that many people experience in life. Not all, obviously, but many people experience where one day they wake up and say, you know, do I, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this really what I, is this really satisfying me on, on a deeper level? Yes, it's paying the bills, you know, hopefully, but like, is it, really, is it really what I want for my life? Is it really expressing the true depth? You know, or maybe at the end of life, a person might say, you know, you know how, how do I feel about you know, what, I, what I did in my life? Did I accomplish what I really wanted to accomplish? And these are the, the, what I'm suggesting is there are opportunities while we're doing what we're doing to also think about this, not only in a uh, midlife crisis type of context or an end of life context, but also in a, in, a, in a mindful, intentional way, you know, what am I doing as I'm doing it? And to be honest, again, it doesn't have to be super deep. This construct exists on every level. It's no different than a company, you know, like an annual or maybe semi-annual audit of self, not just, you know, the books, but, but how, are we true to our mission and our vision? Like we have a mission, we have a vision, there's a mission and vision. Are we sticking true to that mission and vision or have we somehow veered off along the way? That's a valid question that every business I think should be asking. If it's a public company, you know, the question is, <laughs> are, you, are you making the money? But like uh, you would imagine if it's a business and, and, and of course there might be other things, you know, shareholders and stakeholders want to see, want to see profits. That's certainly a big thing. But I think if, if, it, if it's a business that we're running, you know, a smaller business or whatever it is, the question is, okay, I started off doing X, Y, and Z. Am I doing this? 
right? A am, I, am I achieving, right? It makes sense, right? Am I achieving what, what my objective is? Do I know my, has my objective changed? It's not to say that the, the why might, might not change. It could change. And I think that was your point, Michael, right? That the whys could change. The whys are a little bit not written in stone. It's not necessarily the deepest why of the soul that is like the divine point of why. I, I know I mentioned that, and I went there, but it doesn't have to be in every, in every situation. It could be another form of why. But you, you, I think we all know that companies and businesses and even in our own lives, our whys change. You know, they, they do change, and, and, and we get more in touch, and maybe we didn't realize what our real why was, etc. But I think it's an important thing to understand that there's two different elements. Generally speaking, there's what we do, there's why we do it. There's the more external behavior, and then there's the motivation. And Kabbalah has a nice way of kind of defining these different things and, and kind of labeling them and putting them into, into position. And I will tell you, because this is where we're going to go today inside, inside the text, that it's the same thing with God, at least understood in Kabbalah, is that God does the same thing. This internal audit, this hold on, is this achieving the why that I set out in the beginning? We call that Rosh Hashanah. What is Rosh Hashanah according to Kabbalah? According to, you know, um, I would say mainstream, I want to say mainstream Judaism. I mean, like the way it's typically understood in the world, what is Rosh Hashanah? The Jewish New Year. Time to maybe celebrate. It's a holiday. Time to go to synagogue and pray. Hear the shofar, dip your apples in honey. Wish each other a happy, sweet New Year. Fairly, fairly okay. Yom Kippur, very serious, a fast day. Whatever. But Rosh Hashanah is, I, I guess there's some measure of seriousness to it. But I think for most people, it's nice weather, tashlich, go outside, throw some bread to the fish. It's like, you know, dip some apples in honey. Here, a chauffeur, bring the family. It's a fairly pleasant experience. Right? Fairly, fairly, you know. Yeah, there, there's a lot of prayers. Okay, but there's a way around that also, you know, you... You know, you just come a little late, leave a little early. Well, there's a way around that. Come for the kiddush. There's, there's, like, there's a hack for that. So most of us have a decent, you know, decently, you know, pleasant Rosh Hashanah experience, which we should, by the way. It's not a criticism. I'm just saying, this is, the, the, what's the Kabbalistic understanding of Rosh Hashanah? Not just the new year. I mean, new year. In Kabbalah, Rosh Hashanah is about Binyan HaMalchus. It's not about anything else. Binyan HaMalchus. What is Binyan HaMalchus? Literally, it means building Malchus. Malchut. Building Malchut. Binyan. Like Binyan. B-I-N-Y-A-N. Binyan. Malchut. Binyan Malchut. Building, like constructing. Building Malchut. What does that mean? So that's in today's text. But here, I'll give you the short version, and then we'll do it inside. God created the universe. So we believe God created the universe. We also believe that God had a why for creating the universe. And he says it in the beginning of the Bible. God created the world and said, what's the first thing God said? Let there be light. Less of a, oh, let's, let's create light. The first thing is, let's turn on the lights. Like first thing when I walk into this room every Sunday morning is I hit the lights. So God's like, all right, let's hit the lights. Now we can begin creating. No. According to Kabbalah, let there be light is the purpose of existence. The purpose, the why, God's why. Why did God create this world? For there to be light. Let there be light. God creates a world, creates a space, and wants it to be light. But here's the catch. 
God doesn't necessarily want to turn on all the lights himself. God wants to put us in this space, and God wants us to turn on the lights. Why? Because that's what he wants. Oh, you see what I did there? I, vani- I vanilla you. I vanilla ice creamed you right there. I vanilla ice creamed you. I told you that God wants to create a space, and then and the lights are off, and for us to come in, and through our own choice, to turn on the lights. God says, let there be light. You create light. God says, I want you to create light. That's, that's my vision. That's why I want to do this. I'm creating this world, a realm of darkness, you know, a realm where darkness could proliferate, you know, God forbid. I want you, 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 human beings, turn on the lights. Why? If a is concussioning, don't ask a question on why. That's what God wants. Why did God like vanilla ice cream? I don't know. Why does, sorry, let me try that again. Why do I like vanilla ice cream? Theoretically, I don't know. Why does God want this? I don't know. When the author ever said, if a type is concussionate, you can't ask a question on a desire, right, or on pleasure, right? He was referring to God, not, not to vanilla ice cream. Why did God want us to create light in this world? Why? Why that why? Who knows? But that's what God, uh, that's why God created the world. Why did he create the world? For that. Which is what Rosh Hashanah is about. Rosh Hashanah is the audit, the annual audit. God says, is this happening? Is the world getting light? Are human beings, is humanity responding to why they are here? It says that the mystics on the eve of Rosh Hashanah would feel physically ill because the whole existence of the universe was hanging in the balance. Would God renew the contract? Imagine you get a grant, right? I know this is true in, in academia. You get, um, what do they call them, grants? No, you get, is that what it's called, grants? Or when you get funding, project grants, whatever, yeah, grants, research grants, yeah. Imagine you get a one-year grant. What do you have to do at the end of the year? Somebody just gave you a million dollars. What do you have to do at the end of the year? So what'd you do with the million dollars? What'd you research? What'd you find out? Let me know. Let me know why I should reinvest. Like, what'd you do over the last year? Right? That's why, I mean, that, and even in nonprofits, even by us, we send out, you know, an annual report. This is what we've done. If you want to know what we've done, this is what we've done. This is what we're doing, right? This is, this is what's happening. But to expect someone to keep on investing and not know what, what's happening, what, what, what's the investment for? This is what's happening in Rosh Hashanah. Are you with me on this? R- Rosh Hashanah, throughout the year, this is the way Kabbalah explains it. It's going to be black and white in our text today. I, hopefully we'll get there. Is, is the rest of the year, God is whating. On Rosh Hashanah, God is whying. None of this makes sense in English. The rest of the year, God is providing the funding for the universe. God is giving life, giving energy, giving vitality, giving the universe its soul. Every day of the year. On Rosh Hashanah, God says, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Right? God gets back in touch with the why. Why am I doing this? And knowing why I'm doing this, I'm going to ask the question, is this working? Right? Is this working? I'm not just doing it. I'm going to ask the question, why? Why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? I have a vision for what the world should, be, should look like. Is that being achieved? Are we further along 
this Rosh Hashanah from last Rosh Hashanah? Or have we regressed? Is it working? That's a scary question. Right? Not that I'm not confident the answer is yes, we are progressing, because I'm an optimist. And I think the glass is getting even more half full than before. Right? Every year it's getting more and more half full. I'm an optimist. Right? But I will tell you, I will tell you that it's a scary question. And the mystics, it says, the Kabbalists, the Rebbes, the, the spiritualists, they felt physically faint on the eve of Rosh Hashanah. From Rosh Hashanah until that shofar was sounded the next day, there was a sense of trepidation, a sense of the existence itself is hanging in the balance. And in Rosh Hashanah, when we pray and we say again and again in the prayers, not God, you are the one who created apples and honey that we can enjoy. That's not what we say in the prayers. What we say in the prayers is, you, may you reign upon us, not what's going on here in Atlanta, R-E-I-G-N, reign, be our king, create the world. We, we try to encourage God, so to speak, in our prayers to reinvest. We're basically saying, God, reinvest in us. We're recommitting to the objective, to your why. We may have, we may have you know, wandered a little bit into our own whys. We may, you, you had your vision, and we said to you at some point this year, sorry, God, I got my own stuff to work on. I know you have all this important stuff to take care of. I got to earn some money. I know we, we said that in the year. We deviated, but it's Rosh Hashanah. And we're all taking stock now. It's the cosmic cheshbon and it's the cosmic soul accounting. It's the divine accounting as well. Everything's being audited. That's what's happening in Rosh Hashanah. And the question is, question is simply, not the question, the declaration is on Rosh Hashanah and our prayers. And open up the prayer book on Rosh Hashanah and you'll see it's again and again the same thing. Invest in us. Invest in us. We are recommitting to the purpose. We're recommitting to your vision. Invest in us. That's the request. And on Rosh Hashanah, we sound the shofar, and the shofar is, in this context, a sound of declaration of we are in. We are in, and we want you to be in. We believe, and we trust that God says yes. You know what they say, if you speak to God, you're religious. If God speaks to you, you're Meshuggah. So we don't hear necessarily God's response in the prayers. We don't see that God says, yes, I'm in. I don't know what. God, what language God would speak, but uh, it might be, you know, I don't know that anyone hears that, but we believe that God is saying that, that God is saying, I'm in, you're in, I'm in, you're reconnected, you're recommitted, you're refocused, yeah, it's, it's a year, it's Rosh Hashanah, it's a new year, it's a new start, it's a new, a new end, really, and possibly a new beginning, you're recommitted, you're refocused, you know why you're doing this, you know what I want and why I want it, good, back in. Reinvesting. I'm committing to another year. The Kabbalists say every, the energy for the year is year by year. It's a year by year investment. Literally Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. From one Rosh Hashanah to the eve of the next Rosh Hashanah. That's the investment of the energy. That's it. And the next year, you want more funding? You gotta ask for it again. And to ask for it again, you gotta either, you, two things, you gotta show what you've done and you gotta recommit to, to the project. That's it, straight up. But it's getting in touch with the why. It's getting in touch with the why of God. It's getting God almost, so to speak, in touch with his own why. Saying, remember, God, why we're doing this, what, you're, what you want, and why you want it, and I'm committed to that. It's part of that narrative process, and that's what happens in Rosh Hashanah. I, and I, I'm oversimplifying it somewhat to make it you know, understandable. I could give you the mystical terminology. I mean, we'll have that inside our text. You want to see what this looks like in Kabbalistic language? Binyan HaMalchus. 
building malchut. Does that make sense? Who does that make sense to? Binyan malchut. Try that on for size. What's Roshana? Binyan malchut. Okay. So gesund. Like what? What? Like what's? What do those words mean? So I'm giving you an explanation. Again, I'm I'm simplifying it on some level, but that's the core of it. So as it exists with us, it exists with God, and this is the perfect parallel. That's why this is so important, because we're talking about. You know, we start off talking about how we work and working in a healthier fashion. Because one of the follies of, of our lives is working to the point that we're compromising our spiritual values. It's working so hard, so long, in such a way that we no longer choose to have the ability or have the ability because of our choices, whatever. Either way, we no longer are plugging in spiritually to our own detriment. And that's the problem. And what's the solution? The solution is reconnect with our deepest why, the spiritual why. Why are we here? Are we here to work? Like you think God put us here to work? I hope not. hope God had a deeper vision than that. God put us here, invested all of this, created all of this for what? For us to survive. Okay? It's a very low bar. It's a very low bar of, of vision. Right? God did all of this so that we should Survive. Okay. Maybe. On some level that's true. But that's a very low bar. God did all of this just for our survival? Or God wanted something deeper from us? Something that speaks to His why also. And when we align with that, then we can't help but work in a different fashion. Our work is going to be radically different. We're not going to work to the detriment of our own souls. Because we know that all of that is secondary to the primary objective of life. So herein lies the combination between the two whys. Our why of work and God's why of creation. I hope that makes sense. Yes? Just tied everything together. I hope so. That was, my, that was my objective. That's my why. By the way, I do this with every class, with myself. There's a why, there's a reason why I'm teaching what I'm teaching. Now, it's not just because it's the next statement of the book, although that's the most immediate why. But it's also because every class hopefully has a message that we can uh, that, that can impact us. Okay, let's now jump inside and read some of this. Hold on. Okay, we're gonna start discourse eighteen. You can find this in your books or in your handouts. Discourse 18 is on page number 258. I'm going to share it on my screen as well. 258. Let's see. Here we go. Chapter 1. Three categories. Let us understand the apparent contradictory sayings regarding man's sustenance and needs. All right, we're going to start in a very, you know, uh, analytical way and then get deeper. Um, that on one occasion, we have contradictions. On one occasion, our sages said man's entire sustenance is determined between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. In other words, that the, the entire allot allocation of resources happens on an annual basis, kind of like what I've been saying before happens on an annual basis, that time period of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That's one statement. And on another occasion, they said, man is judged every day. So that seems like there's a daily allocation. Huh. And furthermore, 
There's another statement that Rabbi Yeva prayed daily for his food. As the Zara states, that although he already had food, he would not prepare it until he had asked for it from the house of the king in prayer, which means that we have three levels. <coughs> there's an annual, it seems like there's an annual ask, a daily ask, and a moment-by-moment -moment ask, even once you have the food. So what's going on here? How, how many asks, how many allocations, what's going on? To move it back to my grant funding analogy, okay, how, how, when is the grant getting approved? Is it once a year? Is it once a day? Is it once every meal? Like, what's, what, what, how, how often do I need to check in with the, with the benefactor, with the capital B? How often do I need to check in with God? Right? So he says, that, well, obviously the answer is going to be yes, all the above. But we need to understand how the, the interplay works between all three. So he explains, thus there are three categories. Next paragraph, there are three categories. Number one. In other words, we're not going to end this by saying, you know what, one is right, one is wrong. Or it's only once a year, not every day. The answer is going to be all three are correct. There are different levels, and that we'll have to figure out how they, they work with each other. But the conclusion is that there are three categories back inside. Number one, there's the general determination of one's sustenance and needs made on Rosh Hashanah. So there's the general allocation of blessing. Number two, there's the daily judgment, which is a daily allocation. And number three, even when the food is provided, he does not make use of it until asking for it from the king's house in prayer, which seems to be a much more specific allocation slash ask or ask allocation even after the daily judgment and allocation. So what he's saying is all three are true. You can ask it as a question or, or state it as, as a truth. You can say, one second, one place it says it's annual, one place it says it's daily, one place it says it's moment by moment. That's asking it as a question. Or you can say, in one place it says it's annual, in one place it says it's daily, in one place it says that it's moment by moment, which means that there are three different allocations. To understand this is going to change everything. It's going to change how we think, how we feel, how we work, how we live. It's going to change everything. Knowing the process, knowing the spiritual process, changes everything. Just like knowing the process of, of how we operate. Knowing that we have pleasure and will. So pleasure, desire, ideas, feelings, thoughts, speech, and action. Knowing how that works can radically improve our lives because we know where we are at any given moment within ourselves. Knowing how this works can radically help us. Can radically help us um, in our lives. Let's continue. And this is the word that I said before, Binyan Hamalchut. See it right there? Binyan Hamalchut. The little uh, header in all caps. Page 258. Binyan Hamalchut. That means building Malchut, which means nothing in English. But it means something conceptually. Big time. Now, Priyat Chaim. Priyat Chaim is a work of Kabbalah. Priyat Chaim explains that the period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that high holiday season, is for the perfection. Mm. Nope, I don't like perfection. I'm going to get my own word. Is for repairing and constructing Malchut of Atzilut. In the Hebrew, it's Tikkun. We all know the word Tikkun. Tikkun doesn't mean perfection. <coughs> Tikkun olam means repairing the world, not perfect. Well, if you repair, then maybe you perfect it. Maybe. I don't know. 
This time period is for repairing and constructing Malchut of Atzilut. You ready? You want to hear this in Kabbalah? Let's keep on going. Which reaches the most sublime level of Ni'ila, in other words, the apex, the culmination of this, the, the highest point is Ni'ila, the closing prayer in Yom Kippur, when it reaches Dikna of Arach Anpin. There you go. Mazel tov. <coughs> Where it reaches, you're building Malchut of Atzilut, you're constructing, you're, per, you're fixing Malchut of Atzilut to the point at Ni'ila when it reaches Dikna of Arach Anpin. Dikna is the beard. The beard. In Aramaic, a Dalid and a Zion are interchangeable. Zion, Dikna is Zikna or Zakain, which means beard in Hebrew. It also means an older person, but it means also beard. Zakain means a beard. So we're building Malchut, perfecting Malchut. Fixing Malchut until it reaches the beard of Arachampin, the beard of the long face. Okay. Wow. Super trippy. Yeah? Makes zero sense in English. Conceptually. Yet. Let's, yeah, let's, I, I, listen. There's a way I could say it or the way it's in Kabbalah. And that's, you know, that's, this is what I'm trying to do over here. I'm trying to explain this, the concepts. Let's continue. Let's, let's continue dabbling in the, in, the, in the original text, in the original language. Even on Shabbat, it does not attain such height. It meaning Malchut. Malchut does not rise to such a level of Dikna Varech for it only reaches as far as Abba. You know what Abba is? Abba's father. It only reaches as far as father, not the long beard, not the beard of the long face. Oh, ho, ho, are you kidding me? On Shabbat, Malchut only reaches Abba. It does not reach the beard of the long face. Only Ze'er Anpin, yeah, this is, this is for kicks. Only Ze'er Anpin ascends to Dikna on Shabbat. But at Ne'ilah, Malchut does attain this height and receives there the five severities of Atik Yomin. Oh, Atik Yomin, not even the face, the beard of Av Arach Anpin. You with me? These are the two, uh, two expressions I told you before. There's Arach Anpin. But deeper than that is Atik Yomin, and it's getting from the five severities of Atik Yomin, which is the seal of Yom Kippur's Ne'ilah. And I want to tell you this, and I, I mean this sincerely, you can read this paragraph a thousand times, you can read this ten thousand times, and it may still not make sense without understanding the concepts. The words don't mean anything. The words on paper right here don't mean anything. We're built, we're constructing and, and, and fixing Malchut of Atzilut, elevating it to the beard of Arach Anpin on Shabbat. It doesn't even go that high. It only goes to, to the level of Abba. And, um, and, uh, but on Ela on Yom Kippur, the high holiday season, it does go to that high. And not only goes to the beard of Arach Anpin, it goes and receives from this five severities of Atik Yom, which is even a higher level, which is the seal of Yom Kippur's Ne'ilah. What do we do with this? It's everything that I told you before. Just to plug it into the words. Malchut is what we do. Malchut is action. Malchut is the what. We spent the whole you know, last hour and a half plus 
talking about what's versus why's. What's the what? In Kabbalah, how would you write what? Malchut. Malchut is the what. On Rosh Hashanah, Malchut elevates to the beard of Arach Anpin. I already told you what Arach was before. Arach is desire. Atik is pleasure. I told you that before, right? Remember? We talked about seven levels. We talked about what you do, what you say, what you think, how you feel, how you think, and then Arach and Atik. Arach Anpin, I told it's in the chat. Timestamped. Yeah? Arach Ampin and Atak Yomin. Arach was what you want. No, sorry. Arach is desire and Atak is pleasure. So what are we saying? On Rosh Hashanah, God's Malchut, the Malchut of the universe, God's what, elevates to his why. That's what I told you before. God's, you heard what I said? God's Malchut elevates to the beard, the flow of Arach Ampin, to the space of desire. God asks himself the question, so to speak, what do I want this for? What do I want? Is this achieving what I want? This will be the universe. Is this creation achieving what I want? Why I want it? Is this what I desire? This is the grand audit. We're describing in mystical terms a fairly straightforward concept. It's kind of cool to see it in pure Kabbalistic language. It's how the mystics would talk to each other, right? And how they would write. In pure mystical language, it sounds like, I don't know, I don't know what it sounds like. It sounds like whatever it sounded like to you a moment ago. But in concept, it sounds like everything, it sounds like something that we all need to be doing on on a consistent basis and what every company does on a consistent basis. No different, ask yourself the question. I know what I'm doing, but why am I doing it? I know what I'm doing. Malchut is what I'm doing. Malchut is creating, pumping, pumping the world with, with energy. That's what God is doing. I'm pumping the world with energy. On Rosh Hashanah, God asks the question, why? Why am I doing this? Not that God doesn't know why, but God, really the question is, it's an assessment. Let me think about the why today and let me ask myself, is the why being achieved, being realized by what is happening? And if yes, I'll reinvest. If not, I need to ask myself, what am I doing this for? And Rosh Hashanah, Malchut, which is the soul of the universe, the energy that flows into the world, elevates, is withdrawn back to Arachampin. You have a business and you're investing in your business and then once a year you say, you know what? Stop. Maybe the business is still running in the background. Maybe uh, it's still running, but you are like, I'm not, I'm not working today. I'm taking a step back and asking myself a question. Why am I doing this? Or based on the why that I know, is this achieving that why? Is what's happening, you own a factory. Yeah? You step up and you look at what's happening. Is this my desire? Do I want this? This is happening. I'm investing every day in this. Is this hitting my desire? Is it hitting my, my why? In Kabbalistic language, Malchut rises up to the beard 
of Arachampin. And on that level, God is now thinking about and considering the master why of existence, his own desire to create. And our job in Rosh Hashanah is to say, choose us again, invest in us again. We got this. We got this. Invest in us again. And if, when God is convinced, and it seems like he's been convinced for the last little while, when God is convinced that, that we're worthy of investing in, that's when the new allocation comes. We said before there are three allocations. The allocation of the once-a-year allocation, the everyday allocation, but we're talking right now about the once-a-year allocation. What is the nature of that once-a-year allocation? It's a product of this cheshman, this calculation, this assessment. Is this, is my why being achieved in what's happening? This is what's happening. Is my why being fulfilled? Is my desire of creation my desire for creation, is it being achieved? I wanted something. I didn't just create for the sake of creating. You know what? I'm creating. I have no expectations, no desire. I don't want anything. I'm just creating. It's not how God created. God created with an agenda, with a desire. And so in Rosh Hashanah, God is thinking about that desire. God is reconnecting. God says, I'm not investing now. I'm not investing today. I'm going to withdraw my investment because I'm asking myself the question, do I want this? Is this achieving what I want to achieve? And when the answer is yes, and it's been yes for all these years, when the answer is yes, it means there's a reinfusion of energy. It means that God is choosing to once again invest. And that is the new allocation. And that's the judgment that happens on Rosh Hashanah. The judgment is an allocation. And that's what it means that there are five severities of Atta Gilman that flow in this experience, as we'll see soon. Um, I want to do, before we do questions, I want to do a little bit more inside because he's going to ask questions and might as well get the questions in today instead of starting with them next week. And I'm going very slow through this because, number one, I think it's a, to me it's a very important topic, a very necessary topic for all of us on every level, whether it's physically with work, or whether it's spiritually in our lives, whether it's cosmically within the universe. It's a very important conversation. And it's the conversation that's in front of us. And these are very deep concepts with very deep mystical language. It's a lot of, lot of heavy Kabbalah here. And if we run through it, I don't think it's not going to make sense to anyone. And, and, and it's a waste of time. So I'm, we're going to ask questions now. Severities and Igla. This is now page 260, middle paragraph. And he asks a simple question. <clears throat> but what is the idea? Assuming that Rosh Hashanah is a time when God's malchut, God's investment, is now being recalled for this consideration and assessment. <coughs> so it's elevating to Atak Yomin. But what is the idea, what is the meaning of the five severities of Atak Yomin that Malchut receives at Ni'ilah? We said that it rises level of Atak Yomin and then receives directly from the deeper level of Atak Yomin five severities. Hey, Gvurot. Gvura. Gvura sounds like not what we want in Rosh Hashanah. Gvura? Gvura is like strict justice. Isn't Ni'ilah, he asks, isn't Ni'ilah, the close of, of Yom Kippur, primarily a time of eliciting pure mercies? Seems like a chesed type of scenario. Seems like a kindness, like a love and kindness, like, God, we love you. God says, I love you, and we embrace, and Ni'ilah, and, and that's how Yom Kippur ends. Five gvurot? Five severities? Who's talking about severity? Severity is like harshness. God's harshness is being elicited. 
when God does the arit, he's being now harsh? What does that even mean? Our sages say, from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur, pardon is suspended. It's not really suspended. I don't think that's the right translation. I think pardon is manifest. Pardon is the energy. I think it's the opposite of suspended. It's maybe suspended in the air because that's the energy, but pardon is the theme of this time of year, which means it's chesed, kindness. Yom Kippur is a time for pure mercies. And Neila, particularly, is the ultimate degree of mercies and a time of God's acceptance, as is known. So what is the meaning of the five severities at that time? And what is the meaning of the seal? It says, right, the five severities flow at Neila from Atag Yomin, and this is the seal of Yom Kippur's Neila. So why, why is severity? And how is this the seal? And how does it make any sense for Neila? What's going on? And here we stop. We're going to stop today, over here. And next week we're going to pick it up. And we're going to get into what is Malchut. And it's going to say what I told you before. Malchut is the source of the worlds. In other words, it's the soul of the worlds, the energy. God is recalling the energy on, on Rosh Hashanah. God pulls back, right? It renews the flow of light into all the worlds, right? It happens every day. It happens once a year. This is all stuff that we're going to get into next week. We're going to continue this conversation, right? Every, new, every Rosh Hashanah, new illumination issues forth from the Blessed Ain Sof. All of this stuff is what I, I mentioned today. I set, hopefully setting the stage for what will unfold. But part of this is going to be an incredible understanding of what severities really are. And I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a clue. If you hold up your hand, you can see a manifestation of the five gvurot literally in front of your eyes. If you hold up your hand or you look at my hand, you can see the five gvurot actually happening. One, two, three, four, five. Five fingers, five kvurot. I will explain that next week, please God. We have a lot, we have a lot to, 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 um, to, to explore in this, in this topic. But just know that in general, the theme, is, the theme that we're talking about is recognizing that my what is fueled or needs to be fueled by a why. What is my why? I know what is why. It's, mixing, mixing uh, terms here, but identifying my why, right? My desire. Where is my desire? What is my desire? What do I want? It's a human, it's a healthy human activity, healthy human question. It's a healthy divine question. It changes the way we work. It changes the way we, we relate to reality. Changes the way we ask for blessings. So what's the homework for this week? I would say simply this. Let's pay more attention to the whys of our lives. Instead of the what. We all know what we're doing, hopefully. right? We know what we're doing at any given moment. I'm doing this. Why? Why? Does it speak to purpose? Maybe it doesn't have to. Maybe it doesn't have to be so lofty. Maybe. But at least you've asked the question. What I'm doing now. Yeah. I wake up Monday morning and I'm going to do something. I'm going to go somewhere Monday morning. Why? What does that speak to? Does it speak to some sort of bigger, bigger plan, bigger objective, bigger desire on my part? Or is it just something that's happening on a, happening on a very superficial level? Which is fine if it is also. It's not, not a judgment. But it's a, it's a question that might lead to some breakthroughs for ourselves. Why, why am I here? Make sense? Yes? Ish? Okay. Questions or comments?
just Rabbi, just uh, the first part was um, <clears throat> just looking at the difference between the wise. You said malchut is really action. So what we say, what we feel, what we think. Right. It's kind of like using the energy of the world that you call the soul of the universe. And then um, why? So if, if what's or malchut is why ratzon or is, is yeah. that the one? Yes. The why is the one. Yeah. Well. The why is Ratzon and Tainuk. It's kind of that, that realm, that higher realm. Kind of, I'm kind of mushing it together now. But yeah, the, 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 the desire, it's not explaining the why of the desire, but that's the why of the want, if that makes sense. You can always go deeper and deeper and deeper, but there's, there's the what. The why of the what is because I want this. Now, why do you want it? Because of the pleasure. Why does that cause pleasure? I don't know. So at some point, we're going to hit a wall. But the, relative to the what, the desire is the why. Right? The desire is the motivator for the what. So the what, what is what I'm doing? What motivates that? It's, it's what I want. Right? So like somebody, let's just, let's say it is about money. Right? Let's just keep a very simple example. Let's say the motivation is money. That's my rutzum. My desire is money. I want money. Why do I want money? I want money to be able to buy stuff. I want to buy stuff. I want money. So that is driving the work. So the work, I show up to work, show up to work on time, and I work hard, and I earn money because I want to earn money. That's it. That's my why. There's nothing invalid about that. As Michael pointed out, there's nothing invalid about that. That is a why. But that is a rutzon, a desire. I want money. Now you say, why do you want money? Okay, we can go deeper. But that's a, the point is that every what is being motivated by a why, which is the desire. Why the why? Okay, good. That's a mystical question. That's a Kabbalistic question. That's a, it's a, it's a Sunday morning Kabbalah and coffee question. Why the why? Good. Fine. We can go deeper. But at the core, your question is, is that desire, is that why synonymous with, with Ratzon? The answer is yes. Well, the, <clears throat> actually, so now that I know what the why is, Ratzon, um, how, how are the whys different from the Anuch um, and the Atuch, the uh, what we want and what causes pleasure. You're talking about the Arach Ampin and the Atuch Yomen? Yes. Arach Ampin is the desire itself is being, is, is let's say, conscious, would, in a kind of conscious, would be feeling the desire, getting in touch with what I want, which, by the way, is, is already an exercise. That many people might that that we might not get in touch with for years. Like, what is it that I really want? I never thought of that about that. I know what I'm doing. I don't know why. I don't know what I want. It's very possible that a person lives their whole life and doesn't even know what they want. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It's not a judgment. I'm just saying it's it's a because it's it's deep. It's not it's not like obvious. What I want really is a very deep question. And then there's why I want it. Why I want the why? That's atagyomen. That's that's where the pleasure comes in. Somewhere deep down, that is that means to me that this that, 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 that something good. That's why I want it. It will always come back to pleasure or pain, ultimately. At the core, it's that it's that it's thumbs up, thumbs down. That's ultimately what it comes down to. The things that are thumbs up, they don't. It doesn't have to make sense to anyone else. If for us this is a thumbs up, what somebody else might say, well, that's a thumbs up, that's a thumbs down. You're talking about vanilla and chocolate. It doesn't make a difference what you think really doesn't make a difference. If for me it's a thumbs up, that's going to motivate desire for it, which will then unfold, again, in a, in, a, in a perfect system, it's going to unfold into working toward that. In an imperfect system, I'll find myself doing things, and I don't even know why I'm doing them. 
And I might wake up one day and say, you know what? It's not even what I want for my life. It's not what I want. I desire something else. Why? Because I really, something else excites me. Something else gives me pleasure, which I didn't even know, which I wasn't even aware of, which I didn't uncover. I was, I was operating on this level. I never got to that level or to this level, deeper, higher, whatever you want to call it, whichever way you want to go. I never got to that level in my own consciousness, in my own awareness. I never tapped into it. Anyway, the point is, there's, no, there's really no one answer for this, but those, that's, how the, that's the interplay between the two things. There's what I want, desire, which motivates what I do, and then there's why I want that. But the initial why is the Ratzon, not the Tainuk, is the Arach, not the Atik. Anyway. If I could just follow up what we were talking about before, I, I, what I take from this is, is it, it, you know, that what's important is to ask the question. Right. You know, that's what that's what I hear you saying. That that really you gotta, you know you want to drill down. I mean, you know you come back to this idea of you know why does somebody work and they work to make money? You know that could go a bad way, right? That could be, you know, making money is how we keep score, and making more money makes me feel good about myself because I think I'm more important. <clears throat> right. It could go a good way. It could be making money allows me to do a lot of good things in the world. Right. Okay. That that you know. So, so you, but you want to keep drilling down and asking that question and trying to understand what, what the deeper motivations are. Right, and to your point before, I would say, I would also argue, and we actually, I mentioned this in our meditation class last week, the, uh, the Tuesday night class and the Thursday day class, you know, even the objective of making money to support myself and my loved ones, that's also a noble objective in and of itself. In and of itself, that's a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to support ourselves. There's a mitzvah to be, you know, to not rely, be reliant on God, you know, like miracles, but to be self, you know, we're always reliant on God, but like on some level to be self-reliant. That itself is a, Dayenu also over there, that also is special, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. It's a very, very noble, it's a spiritual objective as well. We literally did a, did a, did a, a quasi-meditation on that, a meditation on, you know, the, this idea of, of, of creating a, creating our, being partners with God in creating our own sustenance. That's a good, that's a, that's a, that's a valid thing. But as you said, right, and as we've been talking about, we can, we can go deeper and it might be a meaningful experience. And it, it's certainly worth a shot in seeing what we can uncover because it's important. It, because, just because, I think it's important. Anyway, all right, good. A follow up, the, um, so, uh, we, we have we separate between what we want, which is sometimes arbitrary and not that as important as what we need, uh, our desire and, you know, equating, you know, we can't equate our desires with God's desires. But it, it, since there are, is no waste in nature, there's a reason for everything. So, you know, God's desire is not just an arbitrary desire. There's a reason for it. Um, and does that equate to a need of God um, versus just, oh, I want something because that's how, like you said, that's how I feel today versus Yeah, you're, it's, you're asking a really good question. You know, does God need this or does he want this? That's a really good question. That's, uh, that's a little bit beyond this uh, little Q&A over here at the end of the class. That's, that's, a, that's a very deep topic. Maybe we'll get into that next week a little bit. But the, the, the short answer is we're, we're positing that this is on, on the deeper level, not on the more shallow level. Not just something God decided to do. Like, okay. Because it's, it, it's uh, yeah, the, this would be a little bit deeper. But it's, yeah. it's a good question. All right. I'm going to close it out. Good to see you all. It's great, to, it's great to study together. I hope this was inspiring to get your week off to, uh, to an inspiring start. I hope it got, got us thinking about Kabbalah and mystical terminology, which is very cool. 
Very cool. Oh, and I see Adam posted something. Let's see. What does God need for us? Oh, what does God need us for? Oh, interesting. Okay. So check out that article. Adam posted in the chat. Thank you, Adam. Um, sounds by the title. Sounds pretty interesting. All right. We'll see you all. Remember, we pray for shalom. We pray for peace. And uh, please, God. Please, God. Everybody remembers why we're here. And once you remember that, the what is radically different. All right. Take care. Thank you for a beautiful class. Thank you. Very inspiring. Pleasure, Thank pleasure. You. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you all. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. All right. Thank you. Pleasure.